morning again. We are continuing our series in Habakkuk, so if you turn to Habakkuk 3, realize you need a little bit more time to turn there than like Romans, so while you're turning, let me just ask you there, um, if you've ever, if you can recall a situation uh, where, you know, where you've been to a certain performance or a concert or maybe uh, you've seen something like the a sunset at the beach that's just left you speechless. Kind of like your mouth is hung wide open. You feel overwhelmed by it. Maybe even something that you felt like you came away, man, I feel like I'm changed by that event. Well, this is Habakkuk in chapter 3. Chapter 1, uh, he's been venting to God. Why are you allowing your people to get away with such wickedness? God says, I'm not. I'm bringing in Babylon to, to judge their sin. And Habakkuk responds, that doesn't make sense. They're worse. They're evil. This is going to be really bad. And uh, <clears throat> then in chapter 2, God responds to that. And it doesn't seem like God like slipped him some kind of letter for him to read, like underneath the door. It's like, Habakkuk, this is what I'm going to do. You know, it's more like this. It's more like God rises up with incredible, like a, a vision, a display of power. And God reveals to Habakkuk, look, my sovereign justice will judge all sin. Uh, I will judge the whole earth. The whole earth will be filled with my glory. I am holy in my temple. Let all the earth be silent. And that was most of chapter 2. Habakkuk is just left with his mouth like hanging wide open. And he is utterly transformed by it. In chapter 3, he's so transformed, he he writes a song. (laughs) It's all he's left to do. He writes a a song. His venting has changed to prayer. His grumbling and doubt to worship. And so as we read the first seven verses of this song, let me tell you my hope for this sermon. I think the text is wanting wanting to do to us. My hope is that we'd be transformed, so transformed by the bigness and the, and the faithfulness of God that we would all learn to sing all the more in the midst of our sufferings. That's what we want to see. So let's read chapter 3, verse 1 through 7 together. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to the Shigunah. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of His praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from His hand, and there He veiled His power. Before Him went pestilence, and plague followed His At his heels, he stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of cushion and affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Would you pray once more with me? Oh God, surely many of us, and you know who they are, come to church this morning with many struggles, our minds filled with fear and anxiety, 
and even for those who are not, we are all desperately in need of seeing your faithfulness put on display in such a way that we come out of the service ready to rejoice and be glad in all circumstances. And Holy Spirit, would you do that work through the preaching of your word this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> so I, um, I really do love to sing. And um, I used, there was a time where I, th- I thought I was good at it, and, uh, and then there was a time where I learned I wasn't so great at it. And so that time was, uh, I was in high school, and I was riding in the car with my, what I guess I'd call my girlfriend at the time, and I had, um, this is embarrassing to admit, but I had the CD Chicago in, and I, and I just, you know, I like to sing to it, so I, I really thought it would be really cool if I sang to her uh, along with the CD. Well, Turns out she didn't think it was so cool. <laughs> and so she, uh, I'll never forget her turning to me and informing me, saying, um, you do realize that you don't sing that well, right? Um, it was embarrassing then and a little embarrassing now to tell the story. But it hasn't stopped me from singing, um, mainly in private now. <laughs> but the Bible has so much to say about singing, right? It's full of singing. It's almost, it's part hymn book. And we're commanded to sing, in fact, in Psalm 30, right? It says, um, sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, give thanks to his holy name. It's a command. Uh, Paul in Ephesians 5 makes it seem like it's such a normal part of Christian life. It addressed one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody, melody to the Lord in your hearts. But we usually associate singing with, with those good times. And life is going well, right? But this is not always the case in the Bible. There are many songs that are sung while suffering. One of my favorite examples is in Acts 16. If you remember that, Paul and Silas were on their second missionary journey. They had gone into Philippi and they started sharing about Jesus. And there was this little girl that started following them around. And she started chanting, started yelling constantly for days she would say, these men are servants of the Most High God. And if you remember, it says, literally, it says, Paul got really annoyed with that. <laughs> so he turns and he casts the, 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 the spirit out of her. He heals her. Well, the guy, uh, the, the owner of this slave girl uh, uh, didn't like that. He couldn't make money off of her fortune telling anymore. So he incited a riot and um, all of a sudden Roman officials came and started beating Paul and Silas for inciting this riot. And then they were, uh, after they were beaten severely, it says, they were taken into prison, thrown into prison. Now, what would you do in such of a case? Uh, it says, Paul <clears throat> turns to Silas. Uh, it doesn't say exactly that, but I can imagine what happened from what it says. Paul turns to Silas. is like, okay, what now? What do we do now? And Silas says, well, I guess we could sing. <laughs> Paul's like, Sing? Yeah, that's a great idea. So they start, they start singing out uh, these songs to God. And it says in the text, without, while they were singing, all the prisoners were listening to them. So what would you do? If I was there, I would say, this is so unfair. This is so unjust. I'm trying to do the right thing. And, you know, I need a lawyer. This is, uh, the last thing I'd be thinking is like, hey, let's sing How Great Thou Art. This is just, everything's going great. Singing in the midst of suffering is not normal. What's normal in the midst of our suffering, if you can relate, is sadness, is anger, 
is doubt, is depression, is grumbling, complaining, unthankfulness. And Habakkuk has experienced many of these emotions for two chapters of the book. But in chapter 3, everything's changed. Habakkuk has been transformed. His eyes have been lifted from the coming injustice and suffering to the holiness and the sovereignty and faithfulness of God. And it wasn't his circumstances that changed. God didn't change the plan. God had changed Habakkuk's heart. So Habakkuk writes a song. It's a prayerful song we see from verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shigenoth. Shigenoth is a term indicating that it was set to music. And the whole chapter is a, is, a, is a song. The next two weeks we'll be finishing up this book of this song. Matt will preach next two. And you see that even in verse 19. He ends by saying to the choir master with string instruments. Now, <clears throat> note, I think personally it would be really cool if we called Jack the worship master. <laughs> be a boost of confidence. Uh, how cool of a title is that? The choir master. But it's a song we see uh, to the rest of the chapter. And it's a song that many of the people of God would sing in the midst of their su- suffering uh, for years, maybe even centuries to come. The main question is then from this text is how can we, and really how can, how can Christians, especially in the midst of suffering, maybe in Syria, Middle East, Christians living in Paris this weekend, and us, in the midst of our suffering, how can our soul start to more sing in the midst of those times? Let me explain what I'm not talking about. Uh, I do not think, think singing minimizes real pain and sorrow that comes with sorrow, with suffering. I do not think Habakkuk thought that any more than uh, Jesus did in the midst of losing his best friend Lazarus when he started to weep. Suffering was never God's original plan. It's proper to cry and grieve in in those times. Also, suffering doesn't minimize the pursuit of injustice. If you remember in Acts 16, Paul actually demands that the Romans come and get him out themselves because they beat unjustly a Roman citizen. They weren't supposed to. So he demanded justice. But most importantly, singing isn't always, it doesn't always mean a literal song. Uh, some are super glad of this if, if your spouse maybe is like me um, and doesn't sing so well. But singing is often a posture of your heart, isn't it? I mean, it's a, it's a God-centered awe that usually accompanies, it comes with peace and joy and thankfulness. And, and your soul can sing even when your mouth isn't, right? I think you know what we're talking about. So let's glean three ways from this passage that our soul can learn to sing in the midst of suffering. One is to rehearse God's faithfulness. To rely, number two, is to rely on God's faithfulness. And number three is to request God's faithfulness. To rehearse, to rely on, and to request God's faithfulness. Number one, rehearse God's faithfulness. How can we rehearse God's faithfulness? I'm sure uh, many of you know this illustration, but it's one that's used a lot just in terms of illustrating the importance of vantage point. A lot of battles in World War II to the men on the ground that were receiving, seeing people being shot and men falling uh, in the midst of it. Um, they, they felt overwhelmed. They felt like they were losing from their vantage point. They were losing. But from those pilots in the air flying over, 
they were lifted out of the situation and they might have seen things differently. They saw through all the, um, the, the bat- in the midst of the battle that, that actually they were advancing and the enemy was retreating and, and vantage point was important. They could see things were going as planned. It's easy for us to drown in the here and now on the ground in the midst of our trials and suffering in life, isn't it? Our mind becomes consumed with the difficult circumstances. We start to rehearse the difficulty in our mind over and over. And Habakkuk demonstrated this in the first two chapters. He he was consumed with doubt and wonder in the midst of his suffering. But then it seemed like God kind of lifted him up through chapter 2 and here in chapter 3. And he gives him a a bird's eye perspective, a vantage point has changed as he starts to ponder the bigness of God and starts to recount God's faithfulness. And we see that in verse 2. Verse 2, the very first part says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you. He says, I've I've heard the stories. I remember the stories. I know what you've done in years past. So let's recount what he says here. Verse 3, he says, God came from Taman and Mount Paran. He's starting to recount. Those would have um, elicited references to the Exodus. In the midst of God's people in slavery for hundreds of years, God came to them. And then he put on his splendor from the heavens, covering the heavens to the earth. They would have thought of that as bookends. All the known world, he's saying, God's dominion and authority, nothing escapes God's sovereign rule, he says. Verse 4, he says, his brightness was like flashings of light. Probably recounting what happened in, in Mount Sinai. When Remember what happened when God came upon that, the mountain? The whole mountain shook and trembled. Caused the people to have awe as God descended upon this mountain with lightning. And then when Moses, remember when Moses met with God there? Just, just getting a little taste of of the backside of God's glory covered up caused Moses to go back down the mountain and he it's like was looking into the sun for everybody else. His whole face had to be veiled because of coming into contact with God's glory. The story is this. He's recounting God was faithful. He came and he was faithful to his people. Verse 5, he, he mentions pestilence and plague and he's remembering how God, just with a flick of his pinky, just so easy for God to bring plagues and shame the most powerful army of the known world, the Egyptians and Pharaoh, and destroyed his whole army, parting an eight to ten mile stretch of an ocean so that people could walk through. God was faithful to his people. Verse 7, he remembers Kishon and Midian trembling. Midian, if you remember in Judges, they had 135,000 fighting men. And Israel had 22,000. I can't do the math in my head, but that's not good odds. And God still said, look, Gideon, you've got too many people. And he dwindled them down to 300 people to go up against these 135,000. And God destroyed them all through them. In order to show that my, my faithfulness to my people is not limited by the size of an army. His faithfulness is not limited by any cause of suffering in our lives what Habakkuk is doing is rehearsing the faithfulness of God this coming suffering seems so different so much smaller in light of God's 
greatness and his faithfulness. Many of you have been to a theater or play. You've played in a band or something like that. You've been involved with that where you, you have to go to a rehearsal, right? In a rehearsal, you do that because um, you, you, you practice what you know so that in the time when it matters, you're, it's almost muscle memory um, is what happens there. You, you're doing everything out of muscle memory. And so, it's, so it is important for us to rehearse God's faithfulness in such a way that both when you're suffering, but even in preparation for it, that we learn almost like muscle memory to focus on the bigness and the faithfulness of God. I spoke um, uh, at Navigators, some of the Navigator students are here back in the back, uh, Thursday night, and I used this sermon as kind of, a, of an outline for them. And, um, and there's about 40 in the room, and after the end of this point, I just, I just asked them, I said, let's just pause, and they're kind of an interactive group. I said, I, just, I would love if we could just kind of popcorn around, and if you, if you have some kind of area of your life, you just can point to and just say, God has been so faithful. Would you just recount that story, recount that report of him doing that? And it didn't take long at all. One raised their hands and said, you know, God, I really feel like God has healed my anxiety lately. Another raised their hands. And said, God has really brought reconciliation to my family in, in a really powerful way recently. One by one. I mean, I bet seven or eight in the room raised their hands and just recounted something of God's faithfulness. And I wasn't going through any big suffering at the time, but I tell you what, if I was, it would have been so encouraging. It was so encouraging to just hear people recounting, telling of God's faithfulness. It was a rehearsal of his faithfulness. And if you're asking, well, how can we do this more? How can we rehearse God's faithfulness? Let me give you two quick points, applications. One, you cannot underemphasize the importance of what we're doing here, can you? In corporate worship. You know, any given week, people in this room come in with incredible trials and on the verge of great suffering. You know, marriages hanging on by a thread or just, just mainly, maybe just being overwhelmed with life and discouragement. But many are addicted to, to certain things and feeling over, just, you know, like God is going to judge them and get them and feeling unworthy. What do you do with that in the midst of that? And, and, and it's so tempting on a weekend to, to try to dull the pain. We're tempted more than many places with what all, what all, the recent, all the entertainment we have here in Orlando. But we need to behold something in corporate worship. Someone more sovereign, more glorious than even Disney that I love. <laughs> more beautiful, more awe-inspiring than the beach and sunsets and sunrises there. I read an article this week that said, it's titled, Worship is a Lifeline. It made me think it is, isn't it? Do you see it as an oasis, recounting the faithfulness of God? In worship and hearing it from God's word, God gave us a day to rehearse his faithfulness that would equip our souls to sing in the midst of our suffering. But number two, let it be in an event in our home. We can do it even in lunchtime this afternoon with your friends or your family or children do that, throw the question out there. Hey, how God's been faithful to us this week? Or maybe in general, or a lifetime or our family. Let's just recount the faithfulness of God. So that's number one, rehearse God's faithfulness. Number two, to rely on God's faithfulness. 
Habakkuk, as we said, is a transformed man. Before chapter 3, his heart seemed to be filled with anxiety and worry and it was full of fear. He feared the, the, God's people being out of control. He feared the suffering to come through Babylon. He feared his inability to do anything about it. He feared if God was even listening and was going to show up. It's almost like Habakkuk had been singing the whole time. Maybe not literally, but his humming was, his, his, uh, his heart was humming the song of, of fear and anxiety. Do you know what I'm talking about? Those kind of times when your heart hums like that? Not singing maybe out loud, but your mind seems to be filled reciting verses of something you most fear, uh, fear of losing control, fear of some kind of health issue, fear, fear of uh, not having enough, fear of a lost job, fear of maybe God's judgment or whatever. I think our heart sometimes hums that anxious song night and day, even without us realizing it. But Habakkuk's heart has been changed, and ours can too. He starts singing. He says, okay, my heart may have feared, but he says, it is Yahweh's work. Your work, O Lord, now do I fear. What has changed? Uh, Martin, Luther, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, a famous preacher, said this about how Habakkuk changed. He said, he changed when he stopped thinking of his own notion or of the Babylonians, and he contemplated only the holiness and justice of God against the dark background of sin in the world. Then he said this, which is pretty profound. Our problems can nearly all be traced to our persistence in looking at the immediate problems themselves instead of looking at them in the light of God. What he says is Habakkuk, stop doing what we're prone to do, staring at our circumstances, humming the thing we fear most in our hearts. And he started not only rehearsing God's faithfulness, but he said, your work, O Lord, do I fear. He started relying on it. It was not just a recounting, a rehearsing. It was, I'm going to trust it. I'm going to hope in your faithfulness. I was meeting with a pastor this week um, of a church you would know. Um, he, you know. I was just trying to get to know him more. And I asked him, hey, how'd you get into pastoral ministry? And he said, he started telling me the story about it. He said, you know, I was, I was actually in the banking uh, business and I was, I was doing very well. And, um, and I was serving uh, as a leader in my local church when they came to me and uh, asked me to, to be a pastor, um, to take on one of their campuses. And they mentioned the salary and he uh, thought about it and he said, that would mean a 65% reduction in my salary. He said, I'll go home and pray with my wife. I could, can you imagine that conversation, <laughs> right? Uh, honey, I've, I had this incredible job offer today. Uh, they offered me the, the ability to lose all my clients and uh, for us to live on 35% of what we currently make. What do you think? <laughs> um, he started praying about it. A few weeks later, um, uh, he was sitting in class, and at that time, too, he said, he was like, I, you know, I was pretty sure that this, I'm not called to that. Um, he, he loved his job, etc. A few weeks later, he's sitting in class. He's taking a master's class at UCF. Um, and there was a woman he was, he's getting to know next to him. He just, you know, struck up a conversation. And she, without knowing any of his situation, uh, started telling him, him her story. Um, she said, she told him, he said, my, my husband and I are Christians, and my husband uh, worked at Lockheed. And... Um, 
we were, we were serving in a local small church, and this small church called my husband to be the pastor all of a sudden. <laughs> and, um, and he's like, well, that's interesting. Okay, go on. And, um, well, we, decided, we prayed through it, and we took that position. And five years into that, they, they, the, the church had uh, died and dwindled down, and they could no longer pay our salary. So my husband had to leave Lockheed to find a job. He was looking for just any kind of service jobs or whatever to help pay the bills. And then all of a sudden, um, by a certain circumstance, his man, he talks to his manager uh, back at Lockheed. And his manager <clears throat> says, much to the surprise of this man, he said, I've actually reserved a spot for you. And um, I'm going to actually give you all the promotions and raises that you would have gotten if you would have remained here those five years. My friend I was eating with looked at me and he said, I walked out of that class, I I called my wife and I said, Honey, I've got to take the church. I'm called to be a pastor. Let's rely on God. And she said, Let's do it. Uh, We have to learn not only to, look, to sing of God's past faithfulness, but also to rely on His current faithfulness. So good for us to identify, especially in times of suffering or trials, the source of those, those anxieties and fears that our heart is humming. You know, it's usually areas that, that we rely on our resources and our strength and our, our agenda. And in those, to ask our heart... You know, God, where, ask God, where do you want me to rely, to step out and rely on your faithfulness? Because I know you are faithful. And to live by faith, as Habakkuk says in chapter 2, the righteous will live by faith, so that our heart learns to sing louder than our fears. Your work, O oh Lord, do I fear. That's relying on God's faithfulness. Lastly, the third thing Habakkuk does, not just to rehearse God's faithfulness and rely on it, but to also, also request God's faithfulness. He, he requests two things in verse 2. And the first, well, actually, the, at the very end of verse 2, one of them is, he says, in wrath, remember mercy. You see that? God, I'm requesting in wrath, in your coming agitation and wrath. Would you remember mercy? It's so easy in our times of suffering to wonder, like Habakkuk, where God is and what he's up to when he's stirring things up. That's what that word wrath means. He's agitating everything. He understands God's hatred for now and judgment of sin. But what Habakkuk does now is he says, God, when you do those things, would you be merciful? He remembers in verse 3, he recounts, he said, look, I remember that you came to your people and you put on a display of mercy, and he's requesting for God to be compassionate again. And Habakkuk didn't see this clearly then, but we see now. 600 years later after Habakkuk, God would come literally, God in the flesh, and put on a display to the world that God loves to enter into suffering. He so cares for and loves sinners that so much he prepared a place for his judgment, his wrath, and his mercy to be stirred all together. And isn't that what the cross is? The cross is, it is a song, a duet, a harmony of God's wrath and mercy. His wrath is poured out on Jesus, and our sins are punished so that we may be forgiven and relieved of all suffering in the presence of God for all of eternity. 
In your wrath, remember mercy. The second request there in verse 2 is this. In the midst of the years, would you revive it? In the midst of the years, make it known. What he's basically saying there is revive means bring to life, restore. In other words, this. It was not enough for Habakkuk to just rehearse God's past faithfulness and start relying on it. He says this. I want you to, I want a fresh dose of your power. Everything you did then, I want to see it again. I want you to do something awesome, something powerful in your redemptive work through the suffering. You see what he says when? It's amazing what he does there. He said, do this in the midst of the years. It means in the days of the invasion. When, Habak- when, when Babylon comes in the midst of the suffering, I want you to do this. Habakkuk's not, in other words, asking for God to keep the suffering from them anymore. As we often do in our prayers, right? If you, if you kind of take note of most of our public prayers. God, would you remove the suffering? Would you keep it? Would you keep us away from it? Habakkuk's now brought to a place where his heart starts to sing in the midst of our suffering. Would you do something awesome and powerful and amazing and redemptive? He's requesting him to show up. And that's a picture of a transformed heart, isn't it? To care more for God's plan, for God to receive glory than our health and our wealth. And that is when our soul really starts to sing. Many of you heard of and know the name Johnny Erickson Tata. She's a pretty well-known Christian uh, writer in the evangelical world. Uh, She's a Christian who, uh, in her prime, when she was young, energetic, uh, uh, youthful days, she she dove into a, a, sh- a shallow, a body of water that was too shallow, and um, she came out of the water paralyzed from the neck down, and she has been ever since. For the last, um, that was in like the late '60s, so um, you know, 50, 60 years, 50 years. She's written close to 50 books, uh, most of which have to do with suffering and the sovereignty of God. She wrote a book one time, um, one of her books is called A Place of Healing, Wrestling with the Mysteries of Suffering, Pain, and God's Sovereignty. She said this in, in that book, I quote, she said, Do I pray or request for miracles or miraculous healing for my chronic pain? You bet I do. Am I expecting it? If God wills, yes. Whatever you want, Lord, I pray. If it would give you more glory and advance your gospel more quickly, I am all for it. Always and always I want to be in submission to the Father and obedient to the word of Jesus. Knowing full well that if I had everything else in life and lacked that, I would have nothing at all. Because isn't that the bottom line, she continues, that Jesus gets the glory whether I jump out of my wheelchair pain-free and tell people that my healing is genuine evidence of God's awesome power or whether I continue smiling in my chair, not in spite of my pain but because of it, knowing I've got lessons to learn, a character to be honed, other wounded people to identify with, a hurting world to reach with the gospel, and a suffering Savior with whom I can enjoy greater intimacy. And every bit of it, 
genuine evidence of God's love and grace. I stand in awe of God's glory and his faithfulness, his mercy when I read quotes like that. I haven't suffered, I mean, just not even a speck of what she has to. I mean, one of her books talks about how much it takes for her to even get out of bed on a given day and some of the despair she does feel sometimes. Um, but I tell you, when I, when I hear recounted stories of God's faithfulness like that, doesn't it make you want to sing your soul to sing how faithful, how good? Doesn't it make your soul want to enjoy God more, to celebrate his mercy towards us in Christ Jesus in the midst of whatever circumstances? I heard a pastor uh, talking about Johnny. He really admires her, read most of what she's written, got the meter uh, once. And uh, she, he, he, he told of how, my ears perked up when I heard this, that he said, he said, Johnny, there's one thing about her. She loves to sing. <laughs> she loves singing so much that um, she's written four of her books um, on teaching and helping children sing hymnody, sing hymns. But this is a story I love. She, he, he said that uh, Johnny, something interesting about her, is that she actually, when she goes into, um, she's a public place and she gets into an elevator and other people come in, that she often invites them to sing a hymn with her. Isn't that interesting? Can you, can you imagine that? You know, walking into an elevator with a, and there's a paraplegic in her, in her wheelchair. You don't know who she is. You know, and you feel sometimes what we do, kind of an awkward, you know, maybe feel a little bit sorry for her or whatever. And all of a sudden, this lady in the wheelchair says, Hey, would you mind, would you, anybody else want to sing Amazing Grace with me? <laughs> Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. Was blind, but now I see. How can you and I learn to sing in the midst of our suffering? Rehearse God's faithfulness. Rely on it. And learn to request that he may revive it again. Let's pray. Now, there's not a doubt in our minds that you are faithful. Although there may be some today that wonder about it, or doubting it, or questioning it. To all of us, God, I pray that you have and will, as we leave here, so powerfully reveal to us that you have been faithful in the past, that you have and will be merciful in the future. And Jesus on the cross and his resurrection, ever living to intercede for us as evidence of that. In Jesus, you we trust and we pray now. Amen.